Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. Who's excited to be here? We are glad for all those who are in the room, those who are watching. February 18th, 2021 was a landmark day. Were you watching? Were you watching? On, is this 10 days ago? This is the picture of what you were hopefully watching. Were you watching this? Oh, it was an incredible day where a one-ton rover was transported from Earth to Mars. $3 billion project. That was B with a billion with a B. 3 billion, 300 million miles away. On the afternoon of February 18th, um, this rover landed on Mars, and it was incredible. Just think about all of the ingenuity. I think about the helicopter on board. All of it is mind-blowing. So the name of it, so if you didn't know, NASA had a contest to name this rover. They asked lots of school, schools and children, and submit your best name. The name was won by Alex Mather, who says this. So he has a quote, and the name is in the quote. He says, we are a species of explorers, and we will meet many setbacks on the way to Mars. However, we can persevere. We, not as a nation, but as humans, will not give up. The human race will always persevere into the future. Hence, the name of the rover is Perseverance. Perseverance. Percy for short. And so I was listening to the scientists, and, you know, there's a lot of things about this mission that's going to take some soil samples and then send them back. And people ask the question, like, when are they coming back, these soil samples? You know, the answer to that Sometime in the 2030s, that was like, wow, perseverance for sure on many different levels about this mission. But it was this mission that got me thinking about another mission, one that is not 300 million miles away, one that's much closer, one that is right here in our own church, in our own community, in our own families, in our own schools, in our workplaces. There is a mission that is happening right here, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is going to take perseverance to move this kind of mission forward. There's going to be a lot of setbacks. There's going to be a lot of discouraging moments. There's going to be a lot of difficulties along the way. But it is going to take perseverance like we've never seen before. But here's what we're going to discover this morning. The enemy that is out there, the enemy has two tactics that wants to derail us from that kind of perseverance. These kinds of tactics have been around for a long, long time. And they're still around even today. So corporately as a church, individually, how are we going to persevere? That is what we're going to look at in God's word. So hopefully you have your Bible with you. We've been faithfully walking through the book of Romans. Today we enter into chapter 11. And if you've been watching, you've been sitting here on Sunday mornings, you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, it took us 18 weeks to do the first eight chapters and now in the last 
three weeks, we are doing three chapters. Yes. And the reason behind that is these three chapters go together. There's a bit of a digression that Paul is having here in the book of Romans. And he's specifically answering the question about Israel. And Israel as a nation and what is going on and the Jewish people. And so he has some insights and some clarification that will also help us in our story as well. So let's open up God's word to Romans chapter 11 and let's read together. Paul says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. All right, let's stop there. One of the worst feelings in life as a human is this. Now, I'm not just talking about sports, but I'm talking about the metaphor of rejection. You're living your life, everything's going well, you're ready to make the layup and rejection. Rejection, it happens in lots of spheres of life, whether it's in the area of parenting. You're doing a great job of parenting, you're, you're dribbling down the court, you're making the layup and all of a sudden, rejection. In the area of marriage, with, between your spouse, everything seems to be going well, then all of a sudden there's rejection. You're doing a great job at work, and all of a sudden, rejection. School, I mean, we could go on and on and on. The world we live in, in all of its difficulty, in many ways has what I call lowercase r rejections all over the place, which then starts to then bleed into our lives to make us think of bigger questions. That if God is rejecting us seemingly at these kinds of levels, is he really rejecting me in totality? Like it goes from these little R's to capital R. Is God rejecting me? Is that what's happening? Every time I do something, it seems like I'm getting rejected. And then if it's really a whole people, a whole group of people who are asking that question, we then lead into this question. Is God rejecting us? What's wrong with us? He must be, something must be going on. God is rejecting us. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that in your life? Rejection at that kind of level. Apparently, the original audience who this was written to in Romans 11 was feeling and pondering and asking this question, why? Why were they? Well, first off, we know that the, this letter was written to an audience that was Jewish and Gentile. They were both included in the church. 
And so to understand why they may have thought they were being rejected really goes to kind of a deeper story of understanding of the Old Testament. And so here's what I'm going to do. In the next five minutes, I'm going to condense the Old Testament so you can understand it. You ready for this? In five minutes, I'm going to show you four people. If you know these four people, then you know the whole Old Testament. Lots of hundreds of pages condensed into five minutes. Those at home, are you ready for this? All right. So the story of the Old Testament really goes all the way back to Genesis. And the first person we're going to talk about is a man named Abraham. And let me tell you, something incredible happened to Abraham. What? God chose to make a covenant. That means a promise. He made a covenant with a human being. Faulty in many ways. He made a promise. And this is what it says in Genesis. He says this. I and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There it is. The covenant, the promise. God says, I promise to do this. And notice, it's not just about Abraham and not just about his family, but God, from the very beginning of making a covenant with a human being, was thinking of something much bigger. How do I know that? Because this promise is for all the families of the earth. Who is that? Interesting. Okay, let's go on to the next person. We go into the book of Exodus, and guess what God does again? He makes another covenant with a human being. This time, his name is Moses. Moses, oh, he's imperfect in so many ways. But God makes a covenant with him. What does he say of him? He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, okay, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right, hold on a second. So from Abraham, it was about a family and a nation. And now he's promising through Moses that it's going to be about a kingdom, much bigger, a kingdom. But notice, it's not just an average, ordinary kingdom, but it's going to be a kingdom of priests. Wait, a whole kingdom of priests. Does that sound familiar? Nick, ahead of time, read something out of the New Testament about a priesthood, a holy priesthood. Okay, so something bigger is about to happen. Moses didn't see it, but God is talking about this kingdom that's coming. All right, third person, Abraham, Moses, guess what God does again? Another covenant with another human being, this time with a man named David. Oh, David, he's fallen in so many ways. He's flawed and sinful. Yet, God makes a covenant with him. Notice what he says. He says, I will raise up for your offspring after you, who shall come from you in your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will, catch this, establish the throne of his kingdom, key word coming up, forever. Wait a second. So it's not just about a family and a nation and a kingdom right here, but it's going to be about a kingdom that will go on forever. That's significant. And these guys probably didn't see it, but God in his plan was doing something expansive, 
expanding, expanding all the way from Abraham. All right, so we go from Abraham to Moses to David, fourth person. Now we get to the whole prophets. And there's lots of prophets. I'm going to show you one of them. His name was Jeremiah. Notice the language he uses. This is mind-blowing because it's going to include you. <laughs> you ready? This is what Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, catch this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Did you catch that? This is good news. There should be some excitement out here in the crowd, right? There is something exciting because this plan of God to make a covenant and promise was expanding, expanding. Not just a family, not just a nation, not just a kingdom here on earth, but it's expanding to the point where Jeremiah says, one day this covenant is going to be written on God's people, on their hearts. All right, so now it shouldn't be any surprise. That's our five minutes in the Old Testament. Now you know the Old Testament. Now it shouldn't be any surprise that when we open into the New Testament, at the very last supper before his death, Jesus would say this. This is incredible. The cup that is poured out for you is the new, did you catch, you see this? Covenant in my blood. You see, what Jeremiah was predicting would happen came true. There was going to be a new covenant that's going to be written on the hearts of people. And so all the way back in Abraham, God was talking about it. He's going to bless all the peoples of the earth. It is going to be a kingdom of priests. It's going to be a kingdom that will go on forever. This is incredible news. Incredible, incredible news. And so at this point, we pause here and to ask this question, because here at Riverwood, we make great the name of Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful because it's, it's in the same trajectory as our forefathers who've gone before. This covenant that we have, this new covenant, uh, believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is rooted not in something that was here a couple days ago, but something that goes all the way back to God's promises, all the way back to Abraham. Incredible. Do you know this covenant love of Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? That is the passion of our church, is that you would know him in that way. And if you have more questions about how to enter into that relationship, please, please ask. All right, so back to our main question. With this background, we now go back to the question in verse 1. Are we being rejected? And you know who was asking that were the Jewish people, a part of this church, because they were seeing something like this. Well, there's more people now. There's these Gentiles. They're joining us. Is God rejecting us? And that's what they thought. But as you can tell from the last five minutes, God was not rejecting them. 
He was expanding his plan, expanding his kingdom. And so Paul says, let me give you a couple of examples. Me, he says, Paul, I I am someone who is a Pharisee. I have all the credentials of being Jewish. I'm not rejected. Look at what God is doing. But then he digs a little bit deeper to say, okay, who is someone that the Jewish people would revere that I can tell them about God's not, God not rejecting? And they're like, ah, yeah, here it is. And Paul says, how about Elijah? Elijah, this man was revered. What about him? He had that moment in the book of Kings where it seemed like God had left him and he was desperate and rejected. But the truth is he wasn't. He, he actually had 7,000 people. If you go back and read the story out of 1 Kings that were with him in that. I say all that to make this point. The first tactic of the enemy to derail perseverance for the long haul of the mission is this thing of hopelessness. This idea that you have been rejected, that you are all alone. The enemy loves to paint us into this corner to say, we're done for. There's nothing going on. I am hopeless. And for the world who's watching and coming through these doors and maybe watching online wondering about this thing called church, if we are huddled in this corner saying, we've been rejected, nobody wants us, who wants to join that group? Who wants to be a part of that? I wouldn't. Who wants to be part of something that's sinking? And the enemy loves to paint the picture that the church is sinking. But we know the truth. Much like Paul knew the truth, much like the example of Elijah, we are not a people of hopelessness. Here's the key word. To persevere, we are a people of hope. We are a people of hope. We we know the story. And it includes suffering and difficulty. I mean, Paul has told us that already in Romans chapter 5. I'll remind us. Notice what he says. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope, hope, that's what we're looking for, does not is not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, Jeremiah, hearts, again, covenant on the heart, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As a follower of Jesus Christ, suffering in all of its ways, it looks like rejection and where is God, but really all of that is a way to draw us closer to the Savior. You see, God uses difficult moments and suffering to not put us into the corner of being like, oh, no, but to draw closer to him uh, as people of hope. So how do we persevere in hope in the time that we're living? Because that's hard. It's difficult. Many people are at home. You're isolated, and it's very easy to slip into this corner. How do you persevere in the midst of that? Well, I'm going to take a page out of Elijah's book. Going back to 1 Kings, if you read the story, what did he do? You know what he did? He found a friend. He found a friend, like-minded, 
who could go shoulder to shoulder with him. His name was Elisha. If you read, he, they partnered together and it was a great encouragement to Elijah. The other night, my wife and I did something. Uh, we went out to dinner with a couple of couples. We hadn't done that in a long time. And, and let me just tell you, it, it wasn't about the food. It wasn't about the ambiance. There was something life-giving about being in the presence of other people. Three hours we sat in that restaurant and shared life, encouraged one another. Right here, as Paul would say, we, we were people of the remnant. We are people of the we are the people of hope, encouraging one another. It was beautiful, it was life-giving. And so my encouragement to all who are watching, who are here, let's take a page out of Elijah's book and let's find a friend. In this time, let's find like-minded people, whether it's the youth group on Wednesday night for middle schoolers or on Sunday nights for our high schoolers or life groups or wherever it is right to get together, do it. It is life-giving. You need this in your life. If you're going to persevere, it's so easy to get sucked into the corner of hopelessness. Let's be people of hope and persevere. All right, that's tactic number one, to get people into that corner. There's another tactic the enemy loves to do with God's people. It's found in the rest of the verses. I'm going to read 12 verses so you catch the metaphor, but I'm going to pick up in verse 13. I know it's a little bit longer, but you'll get the metaphor as I'm speaking. Paul says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Well, that's most of us, right? Gentiles, all of us, listen up. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut from what was by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let me ask this question. Has anyone in this room ever grafted a branch into an existing branch? Has anyone ever done that kind of work? 
One couple people here. There was one person first hour. I have no idea what this entails. And so to learn about it, what did I do? The internet. YouTube, right? That's where our source of information lies. And so here's a picture of of a grafted branch. And it's amazing. It's an amazing process of very precise cutting, very precise notching, very precise in its wrapping and protection and watering. This is a very difficult process to pull off in 2021, let alone to pull off 2,000 years ago. It's an incredible work. There is much skill and much care that is needed. All right, so back to the point here. So what is Paul saying? He's using this metaphor to speak to the situation in Rome, the conversation of Jews and Gentiles. And specifically, he's addressing another tactic that will, pers- that will throw us off of perseverance. You see, it's on this corner of the stage. You see what he's doing? He said, it's so easy if you have been grafted in to fall into this thing of pride. Look at how great I am. Look at how wonderful I am. And it's true. This is an incredible process. Takes lots of skill and precision and care. Look at what God has done for me. And look at what he's not doing for you. And there is a pride and arrogance that the enemy loves to put God's people into. This corner where it's like, look how great we are. Now think about this. Who coming in wants to be a part of a group where you're always looking down on others? Who wants to be a part of that? Let me tell you, nobody. Nobody. You see, Paul says it, A couple of verses back, he talks about do not be arrogant. He talks about this idea of do not become proud, but fear. It's going to be very easy for you to walk into that corner of pride. But he says, be humble. Be humble. Do not think that you are something because you do realize the whole grafting process really is about the farmer in his precision cutting, in his precision of notching, precision of care. It's all what the farmer does. You're just the branch. So don't puff yourself up. And again, the enemy would love for God's people to enter into that part of the stage. God's word says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what does this mean for us? As Jews and for Gentiles who do not know the Savior, this is what it means. It means that there is a lot of work to be done right here. The mission isn't three million miles away. The mission is right here. And if we are to persevere into the 2030s and beyond on that kind of mission, we must be very leery of the tactics of the enemy that wants to shove us into the corners. We are to 
qualities of people. We are the people of hope. We are the people of humility. If we are these things as God's church, we will persevere. It's been his plan from the very beginning. Uh, Through uh, Abraham, it was projected to be expansive and inclusive. And here we are. And we're still on the same mission. The other day, I was walking the campus of Kent State, just three miles from here. And I was having one of those moments where I was saying to myself, dear God, how are you ever going to graft in more branches on a place, at a place like this? And I found myself falling into this corner thinking, all hope is gone. Do you know this institution? Do you know this place? It's never going to happen. And in that quiet moment, God was reminding me, you do know that every week you say something like, I will do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, right? <laughs> you do know that what you talk about has been projected all the way back to Abraham. I am faithful to my covenant. So faithful to my covenant, I am doing things that are blowing people's minds. Abraham and Moses and David never saw Gentiles a part of this. And in that quiet moment, he was whispering to me, you, you don't see it, but I have work to do at Kent State and Kent and in Portage County, and it's going to blow your mind. Persevere. Persevere. Be people of hope. Be people of humility. Persevere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is my encouragement to all of us as well. All those who are watching, those who have a relationship with the Savior, that we would embody these two words in our actions and in our words to the community, to our families, to our people we work with, our neighbors, that we would embody these two things that are so attractive. People of hope and people of humility. Who doesn't want to be around those kinds of people? Exactly. And that's where our God calls us to this morning. Where is he challenging you in this moment? What part of the stage are you sucked into? What part of the stage do you find yourself being drawn to? His word is challenging us to stay in the center, knowing that he has a great work for us. Well, at the very end of chapter 11, there is a, a prayer. And I'm going to pray this prayer for all of us as well, because this is, these are hard things. Romans chapter 11 is swimming in the deep end of the pool of God's word. How do you understand in his plans and his sovereignty and all of those things? Hard, hard things. But we walk and trust him. And so these last verses are going to be the same verses I pray over all of us this morning. Dear God, oh, our Lord, oh, the, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of you. You are a deep well of knowledge and riches and wisdom. How unsearchable are your judgments, how inscrutable your ways. For who has known your mind or who has been your counselor? 
Or who has given a gift to you that you might be repaid? For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever. Amen.